Welcome to the Highland Groupcast. I'm Jeremy. I'm Emily. And today we're going to talk about nothing specific, <laughs> but I'm really excited because I have two of my favorite people in the entire world uh, here with us today, Beth Broom and Andrew Daly. All right. Hey, guys. How are y'all? Good. Good. I would love um, to hear you guys have known each other for years. You've worked with each other. You've ministered together. Um, I would love to hear, first of all, how y'all met Jeremy <laughs> and your history with him. I think that would be kind of fun for just a couple minutes um, just to hear that from you, Andrew, and from you, Beth. How do y'all know Jeremy? <laughs> yeah. So met Jeremy Daniel at the Village Church, Denton Campus, um, or Denton Congregation at this point. Uh, I think we primarily met through recovery, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, so I got involved in that ministry uh, with Jeremy when he was overseeing it uh, and looking to, um, well, really serve in recovery ministry as I was pursuing uh, my counseling degree and just thought it'd be a good venue to, to get to work. And so Jeremy is one of a kind. Uh, they broke the mold on that dude. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. it's a blessing, absolute blessing to sit under his leadership mm-hmm. for a while. Um and just grow together. And so love Jeremy Daniel. Sad to not be in the same location mm-hmm. anymore, but at least we're still in Texas. So we're, we're relatively close. Awesome. Yeah. Why don't you tell them a little bit about what you're doing now? Mm-hmm. So for me, in terms of what I'm doing now, I'm the um, executive director of the Austin Stone Counseling Center and then the, the director of soul care uh, at Austin Stone Community Church. So basically for anything that happens uh, at Austin Stone Community Church that involves crisis, brokenness, hardship, pain, and all that mess, I get connected to it. Um, counseling Center oversee uh, a group of about 30 counselors that provides counseling in the greater Austin area, um, which has been a blessing and also fills my world with a lot of sad and challenging stories. Uh, and so, yeah, that's mostly what I do right now uh, is do some training and equipping and then shepherd um, my counselors and the work that they do. Yeah, so Andrew Daly, this is, I fell in love with Andrew Daly when he told me that he loved hurting people, but meant it in the best possible way. Uh, and, and I remember distinctly in, we were having a lunch, and one of the things that he said is that if there is someone hurting, like, I want to be in that room. I want to be, I want to be with them and, and near them. And so really, I've learned a ton from Andrew about what that. it looks like to just kind of lean in with people who are hurting when most people would uh, lean out. And so, and, and he's also just, you won't toot your own horn, Andrew, so I'll do it for you. He is probably one of the most even keel dudes mm. <laughs> that I have ever met. And so when I think about sober minded in the scriptures, he is absolutely funny. Uh, he is, uh, he is all of those things, but at the end of the day, he is not given to be blown, uh, back and forth. Uh, he's just really even kill, incredibly sober minded and a gift to anybody who gets to hang out with him. And so I'm, I love, 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 love Andrew. That's awesome. Um, and Beth, what's, what's your history? <laughs> How do you know Jeremy and tell me about what you do at the village church and yeah, love to hear I, about you. I don't remember the specific time that I met Jeremy. I do remember that when we first began to attend the village church, Denton, um, he was already on staff and I believe at the time you were still doing youth ministry, I think there, I was, Jeremy. Um, I but I, I do distinctly remember that 
I always knew when Jeremy was in the room because he has what we call a voice that carries. <laughs> oh, yes. And so I was never, I never wondered if Jeremy was at the church building, even so if he funny. was on a different floor of the building from me, I could still hear him. I love it. <laughs> and so we, we never, we, that was kind of my, my, my first initiation into man, that guy, he has, he's a pastor. He's also a motivated motivator of other people, mm-hmm. highly motivated. Absolutely. And so, um, but yeah, I started, um, when I started on staff at the village church Denton, which was, it's, it'll be 10 years guys in September. It's crazy. Um, I, when I started on staff, he, uh, was starting to move into the recovery ministry, I think, and, um, was just eager to help in that arena. I was also working on a counseling degree and really wanting to work in that recovery ministry and, and um, so I think I was coaching some of the leaders that were women and just helping Jeremy with some various things. And the more I helped, the more I wanted to help. And he was eager, I guess, to have me um, help him with administrative things and, and help him with the ladies that were leaders. And so um, that started us into lots of different venues of ministry. So um, that's awesome. So what do you do at the Village Church Denton now? Um, I am the care minister. And that means that I oversee any and all ministries that have to do with uh, people who are suffering. So that includes our marriage groups, our uh, restoration groups, which are are what some people might call recovery ministry. We also have a lay counseling ministry. um, And now we have an active care team um, um, in which we work with specific cases of married couples and individuals that are really struggling and need to have specific plans like individualized care. Um, for specific kinds of suffering. And so that is, that is what I do. And just so you guys know, I inherited most of those things from either Andrew or Jeremy <laughs> when they left it. me oh. in the position that I am now oh, in. No. Oh man. <laughs> Thankful for you, Beth. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. Couldn't have happened to a better girl for sure. Uh, I will say this. Here's, here's what I, I, when I think about women who have shaped my ministry life, uh, and in a lot of ways, my my wife. I think about my mama who who prayed for me often, and um, who man, she's a she's a sweet sweet lady. But I think my road to really kind of understanding pain and suffering uh, began by walking through some things with her. And then uh, my wife, who is like the man, the spirit uses her more than any other person in the world to um, really captivate my heart and to teach me about the gospel. But then. Uh, and, and I tell people this all the time, Beth Broom, um, as far as teach me what it looks like to talk with people and walk with people and be comfortable sitting with people who are crying and doing things like, like I learned that from her. And so I, I can't think of two better people um, who ha- are two more profound shapers of uh, the way I think about walking with others through pain and suffering than, uh, than you two, because you really kind of um, you walked with a guy who was young, had a tendency to be brash and arrogant, and then you got to sit with me as I took some serious slumps. And the beauty is, is that we kind of all took those together. Um, a lot of times, just because of me and my brashness, but then um, always so incredibly patient, so incredibly kind. And so I'm grateful for you guys, and I'm glad to have you here today because um, I just think that you have so much wisdom. In fact. Andrew, right after we recorded our anxiety episode, uh, I saw your um, your uh, podcast, your your vlog, and I was like, "Oh man, I should have just not recorded one and just 
posted that for the day um, because it was so much better. I mean, you guys are so incredibly wise. Uh, one of my favorite bedroom stories, and I'm going to tell it right now because it's great. Uh-oh. Beth and I were working together on something, and I can't remember what it was that she was frustrated about, but she was frustrated about something, <laughs> which didn't happen often. I, I just full disclosure. Uh, but I, she was frustrated, and I said, hey, don't be frustrated. And she shot right back at me. Don't tell me how to feel. That's a horrible counseling technique. And I have remembered that lesson every single day for the rest of my ministry. I'm not going to tell people how to feel. That's a horrible counseling technique. So, um, mm-hmm. man, Beth, Andrew, thanks for being with us today. And thanks for, uh, man, helping us think through what it looks like to walk with others through pain and suffering from a perspective of people who have been doing it really mm-hmm. well for a really long time. And so Emily's got some yeah. questions for you. And we'd love to just kind of hear... Um, what your thoughts are just for everybody out there listening. We, we didn't send them these questions before, so <laughs> we're putting them right on the spot, but they're great on the spot. I trust them. Awesome. I wish we had so much more time because I have all the questions for you guys, but uh, I, I think I'm going to limit it to probably one or two and just kind of let you guys run with it. So uh, one of the things that um, you know I love about having you guys on here is that you do have so much uh, life experience walking with people through pain and suffering and you know partially because that's something that you do vocationally. And so a lot of the people who are listening to this podcast, they don't do so vocationally, but everybody, we all have relationships with other people. Um, you know, and one of the repeated themes that we have talked about throughout this podcast series is that every believer is called to minister to others in some way, whether that's vocationally or not. And uh, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul writes um, about the Corinthian believers. He says, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And so what I love about this is Paul seems to be kind of expressing the heart of discipleship um, broadly, but I think it also applies more specifically to soul care ministry as well. Uh, And one of the things I was even telling Jeremy earlier is that it's easy in the day-to-day ministry with other believers, um, you know, in the on the ground, right, to forget that eternal perspective of, you know, what my my heart's goal is to help present this person before Christ one day with the pure and sincere devotion to him. And so how do we kind of, you know, in those daily, you know, the ground work of ministry, I guess, you know, keep that eternal perspective in mind because transformation doesn't happen overnight. Right. And, um, so how do you guys kind of recommend that we keep an eternal mindset, that 30,000 foot view when we're walking with individuals or couples through kind of that transformation process? Sorry again, you guys have to have That is a wide range of things we could, we could say about that probably literally eternal number of things to <laughs> oh yes yeah it is That's eternal way. Sure. i see what you did there yeah even more than thirty thousand feet yeah uh i i actually you know as you were talking emily i think i um the first thing that came to mind was that i think we can sometimes fall to sort of into one ditch or the other on either side of this road uh i think some of us in the way that we're wired as we have family members, friends, people in our home group who are struggling, we, uh, 
we long to care for them, but there's something in our souls that longs to be the one that provides the answer or the one that um, makes things better or fixes it. And so we can sometimes get almost addicted to the problem. We end up looking at the problem a lot because we wanna, uh, we wanna be the one, right? To say, oh, I came up with this wonderful solution and I like said the perfect thing and you were magically healed and all better and never struggled with that again. And um, as helpers, I'm, I will just out myself, like there is a, a really common temptation that I have to lean into the Lord about and talk to my accountability partners about a lot of just, I'm not the savior. I'm not the rescuer. I don't have any answers that are going to eternally transform someone's life. Only the word of God is living and active. Only the word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. And so it penetrates, it pierces. And I, so I can't, I can't look at myself as the one who will provide an answer. Um, there's a kind of a, a pride or almost like a self-righteousness that can naturally come when we, um, when we walk with people and mm. even like, if we're good at it, then it's even more of a temptation. Cause it's like, oh yeah, I'm, uh, people come to me with their problems cause they know I'm going to fix them. Uh, and so just needing that humility, uh, to, and that is, so when we can focus on the Lord Jesus as the only answer, as the only one who can heal and, um, and change and bring repentance, if my eyes are fixed on him, it's so much easier than for me to point someone else's eyes towards him rather than towards myself. So I think that's one ditch. I think on the, on the other side of the ditch you can fall into is just um, this idea that uh, I don't, I'm not qualified. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have anything to say. And that, that can be almost as harmful because it's still that their eyes are still on you. Your eyes are still on yourself in terms of what can I do? How can I be the one to, to provide and help? Uh, and so on either side of that, it's very easy for us to turn our eyes over on ourselves as uh, we should be able to have the right answer or we should be able to um, provide relief to someone who's suffering when really, man, I'm so grateful that we have the Holy Spirit because that's his job, it's not ours. And if he lives in the person that you're caring for, um, you, your, your most effective counseling tool is prayer and uh, intercession for that person. So that was the initial thing that I thought of. I don't even, I'm not quite sure I answered no, the question. Oh, that was but. great. <laughs> yeah. So I think with the eternal perspective, I mean, you're hitting on, um, man, the thing that enables us to do the work that we do uh, with an eternal perspective and understanding that God's writing the story, that he knows exactly what he's doing, that he knows every section, every plot, plot twist is going to come in a person's life. Uh, none of it's arbitrary, none of it's accidental, that he is at work specifically where we are uh, in these different situations. This eternal perspective of knowing what the end of the story is enables us to sit in the muck and mire of people's lives and actually stay there with them, uh, to not let the darkness be so consuming um, that we lose all hope or that we despair because we know the end of the story. Uh, one of the dangers, and Beth sit on this a little bit as well, the dangers that with um, lead footing with eternal perspective uh, is that I think we can have a tendency to minimize the pain and suffering in people's lives in that context. Now, to be fair, the Apostle Paul kind of does that on his own anyway, when he says, you know, this momentary affliction, like he, he puts it in its proper context. But even Paul and Jesus model this engagement of weeping with those who weep, of sitting in the pain, of lead foot emotional connection with where the person's at uh, and loving them there. 
Um, but the eternal perspective is what enables me, honestly, to have a, a certain swagger walking into counseling sessions. And because again, just as Beth beautifully said, it's I'm not the perfect counselor. There's only one. There's only one perfect counselor out there. There's only one perfect savior out there. And I, I'm not him. I'm his ambassador. I'm his messenger that there is hope in all these situations and all these contexts. So we get to a place like 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, the God of all comfort passage, which to me is such a good anchoring passage for all believers uh, to have a confidence walking into the situations that God's going to bring uh, their way, um, that the God of, God of all comforts us, comforts us in our affliction uh, so that we might be able to comfort others in any affliction that they face. Uh, there's so much good truth in there. The God of all comfort, there's no comfort outside of him. He's it. He's the comfort. If we offer any comfort short of that, we're offering something that will not last and will not fit into the hurt and the difficulty that people are going to be facing. Who comforts us in any affliction. There's no affliction greater than his comfort, and his comfort oftentimes doesn't remove the affliction. And then the upshot of all of that is so that we can comfort anyone else with the comfort we have received in any affliction, which means every believer who's experienced the comfort of God should have a certain level of confidence walking into other people's pain. Uh, because we know we have what they most need, and that's the same comfort we've received. Um, again, that all fits into this context of the eternal perspective. God's final consummation of comfort is coming. Lord willing, soon, because I want to get out of the shelter-in-place junk and actually, you know, do some stuff. <laughs> but Lord willing, Maranatha, let's get this done. Um, but yeah, that's a great question. Yep. And I think that's so good. I mean, the one of the biggest things that you both pointed out is like, it's not you're not going to change anybody like you don't have the power you don't have the ability and so um you know i just consider paul saying i delivered to you as a first importance what i also received and then leading and kind of going in with the gospel and just saying that's that's it it's what i got Uh, i don't i don't have anything else for you outside of my presence right I'll, i'll be present with you in the midst of the suffering and I will give you the good news of the gospel that where you're at right now, even if God never delivers you from this difficulty, he will not leave you. And so he'll be near you in it. And because he's near you, he's called me to be near you. And so I'll sit with you in the midst of the suffering and we'll walk through it together. And I think the beauty of that and anchoring it in the one, the gospel, but in two, the scriptures, is it kind of takes the pressure off you to have to be the one to fix it, Beth and, uh, and Andrew. And I think for all of us, like that desire to, you know, I, I just want to have the right answer when they ask a question or when they say a thing. It's just like, I, I, I don't know, and you've probably experienced, well, you guys haven't because you're way smarter than I am, but just somebody saying something and like, man, I want to respond in this moment, but I have no idea what to say and how long it took me to be okay with, maybe I don't need to say anything. Maybe I just need to be there and be near in this moment. And yeah, what you said, Andrew, just cry with them and weep with them and mourn with them and um, and so that's, that's good. You guys are wise. I love that. I, I don't, I'm not surprised by it because I knew it, but that's so great. <clears throat> no, I think, I think that's awesome. Um, and so for you guys, like, it sounds like, um, you know, the more and more <laughs> that you get into this ministry of soul care and caring for the, the needs and the, the pain and the struggles of others, the more you realize, I think you're dependent on the spirit, on the, on Christ himself. Um, and so what are some ways, and we've talked about this a little bit, but I would love to hear from you guys, 
Um, you know, one thing that I think happens a lot in count in, in whether it's a counseling situation or uh, any kind of relationship when they're when someone is aware of their need is is, is emotions come to surface and, and so they feel very strongly about it. Um, but the I feel like it's easy for a person's eyes to become focused on ourselves in those moments when we do feel those needs. And so how would you guys what are some ways that you graciously but truthfully kind of help direct their gaze to Christ as their, as the one who can, who they need. Right. And so, uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. yeah. How do you help them lift their gaze, lift their gaze as Jeremy yeah. would say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you correctly, we're, we're trying to avoid the ditch of the struggle and the problem becomes their identity. Right. Like where the pain and the suffering becomes the only thing that they look at, which inevitably just leads to kind of an Eeyore style life of pure darkness. Uh, which is not what that's not where we want to lead people at all. And so I'll remind my counselors of this often, even when you're talking about in professional counseling, if all we do in counseling is talk about their problems for every session, we're doing them a disservice uh, because they're not their problem. The problem is a piece of the puzzle and it's part of the story, but it's not who they are. The who of who they are is much bigger than that. They're a child of God. They're redeemed. They're made new. They're a new creation. They have access to all the riches of Christ. Uh, and so we want to acknowledge and work through the problems, but also in the context of their true new identity, um, that they're so, something so much more than the pain that they're suffering. Now, we also got to be clear, that doesn't mean the pain doesn't hurt. And that doesn't mean the suffering doesn't hurt. Uh, you can look at the way Jesus handled the paralytic. You know, these four friends that brought the paralytic to Jesus, busted up the roof, dropped the paralytic before Jesus, thinking, hey, Jesus is probably going to make this our friend be able to walk again. And what's the first thing that Jesus says to this man in that moment? your sins are forgiven you. Uh, He starts with the primacy of his spiritual need. He starts with the heart. He starts with new identity. Uh, And then he moves on to healing the man as well and his physical difficulty. And so uh, I think we see Jesus modeling that primacy as well. Identity is central. Understanding our identity as children of God, understanding what God has brought about in our lives is central. Like at the beginning of the session, at the end of the session, we're going to set our eyes on Christ first. I'm going to, when I pray, tell them, hey, Jesus, I need you as much as this client does. Like, if they're coming to me for the answers and for the solution, I'm not the expert you are. And so, God, I need you to man, meet me in my pain and my difficulty, even as we walk through this together. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the the main practical tool uh, is going to be settling into that and helping them see and understand what Scripture says about who they are uh, without, and the real danger, in my opinion, is without minimizing, mm-hmm. like without minimizing the actual struggle. We don't want to say, hey, get your eyes on Jesus, because then all the pain will go away. Yeah. That's not promised to us. I like listening to Andrew talk. He knows, he knows a lot. He's a smart guy, wise guy. Uh, I was actually, um, and obviously very much agree with everything that he, that he shared. Um, I'm also thinking about, um, in Philippians four, I, you know, we, we definitely don't ever want to use the Bible as a, the Bible's not a formula. Scripture is not a bandaid. It's not a formula for, um, how to fix your life. That's not the point of scripture. However, uh, if there ever was going to be a formulaic type of passage of scripture, I think Philippians 4 gives us such an incredible model for what it means to, to take stock, uh, to call things what they are, but to keep our gaze fixed on the Lord. And so, you know, for Paul to, to say to the Philippian church that they should rejoice always, um, that that, and he says it twice, he says, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. Um, let your reasonableness or your gentleness or your, your, have your wits about you. Let that be evident because your life is, is, um, is not just sort of swimming around in emotion 
by itself without any truth applied, not just swimming around in circumstances, but having your wits about you in a spirit of rejoicing and letting our requests be made known to God, that as we are experiencing real hurt, real need, real struggle, it is, it is very evident that we have need. And so what do we do with that need? We take it to the Lord. Um, and I, I walk with a lot of people through this passage, and I love to jump back and forth between here and Hebrews, where it talks about, and by the way, the person that you're going to is your great high priest who, who, who gets all of it. Like he is, he's the perfect kinsman redeemer. He's your elder brother who, who went through everything hard that you ever went through. He understands all of those same things. So he's the perfect person to shepherd you and guide you into the throne room of God, where you can make your request known to a father who loves you. And, and to do that because you're anxious, like you feel anxious. That is what it is. We're calling it what it is. You're struggling. Take this before the Lord. Um, and, and understand that when you do that, the God of peace, the God who is the author of peace will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Like he's in it with you and he's, he's a guard all the way around you. It doesn't say present your request to God and he'll make everything go away, but it does say that he'll guard our hearts. Um, he becomes this, uh, hemming in that's that David talks about in Psalm 139 behind him before it's like this, this guard all the way around us that keeps us in a, in when we're in a season of trouble, it keeps us near to the Lord. And then in verse eight, he begins to talk about how, where should you fix your eyes? What do you spend your time and your energy, your mental capacities thinking on? So it doesn't say, don't ever think about things that are hard. He actually just said, you're thinking about it anyway. So take it to the Lord and then set your mind on what is good and holy and pure and right. Let those things be the things that you choose to dwell on. And I just think we are not, man, Americans are not well-trained to choose to think about what they want to think about. They're, they're thought of, uh, social media and emotion and thoughts, everything's just sort of coming at us and we're just letting it hit us and letting it take us wherever it will. And man, I, it, it feels like being dragged along on a rope behind a horse going 50, 50 horses don't go 50 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour. Um, it just feels, it feels like we're being dragged everywhere. And we do, we need to be trained in how to choose to think about what is good and holy and pure and lovely. And as a side note, I will just quickly say that I think one of the best ways for us to be trained and to choose the discipline of training our minds is to Sabbath well, it's to learn what Sabbath is and let ourselves have regular periodic times where we are, we are choosing to lay down our, our control issues <laughs> and trust the Lord and, and set our minds on things that are good and holy and filled with joy. So that's probably a different topic, but I talk about Sabbath a lot with people who are struggling with anxiety and different things. Well, yeah. it knits beautifully in with eternal perspective when you think about it. Like Sabbath is an active, I've got to have an internal perspective if I'm going to be willing to Sabbath. I believe that God is at work, that he will finish his work that he started. Um, and I think in my experience as well, I talk about Sabbath a lot with a a lot of people. It turns out a lot of people in ministry are burned out. <laughs> burned out. A lot of people in ministry get burned out. Which is which is pretty interesting. I mean, it's um, it's almost like God knew what He was doing when He commanded it. Um, and so um, there is a and you see it in Jesus all the time, right? I mean, Jesus, who was one hundred percent human, one hundred percent God, who would pull away uh, to be with the Father. And I think just the idea of Jesus being our comfort and that lifting of the gaze. And I think this is one of the things that I've learned um, just 
so much from um, one, just the time that I get to spend with you guys, but then two, uh, just from sitting with people who are so often uh, hurting. And you said it well, um, as even tying it back to identity, like we're so quick to make our circumstance our identity or our suffering or our identity or our sin or our struggle or whatever that is to make those things our identity. And we're crying out and asking God to give us peace and to give us hope and to give us all of these things rather than, and I, I need you, the God of comfort, to be my comfort. I need you, the God of peace, to be my peace. I need you, um, get just the God of hope, to be my hope. And so um, it helps us to, and I like what you said too, just about, like, we can't tell people how to feel, right? Like, we can't tell them to not feel frustrated. We can't tell them to not feel um, sad or lonely, or, I mean, we could, but that's a horrible counseling technique, which I learned from my great friend Beth. Um, but, and I think Emily might have a question about it, or you guys can just respond, but um, the idea that we can allow them to feel their emotions uh, and help walk with them through how to not be consumed by their emotions. Is that, was that, that, that was a question that you had, was, right? <laughs> that was something I'm, you know, I'd love to hear, you know, all three of you guys address is, you know, validating a person's feelings and, uh, but not encourage, but encouraging them to not be driven by that feeling, you know, and kind of similar to what you guys are saying about identity uh, finding your identity in the whatever the the thing is, um, because emotions are not inherently bad; they're indicators, you know, <laughs> that God gave us. And so, how how do you guys, um, you know, kind of encourage people? How do you empathize with them, validate them, but also encourage them to not just sit in those things? So the emotions, man, we could go a couple hours on this one because this I is kind know. of where I spend most of my time. Uh, is dwelling on emotions. And Beth used one of my favorite passages that addresses it, I mean, Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Um, and you'll notice the same thing in Matthew 6, Jesus addresses anxiety uh, as well. In both those cases, what's fascinating, at no point in time do you see the Apostle Paul or Jesus saying, do not feel anxious, but instead feel something different. They don't offer a replacement feeling in either of those passages, but in both passages, what they actually offer is new practice. They said, do not be anxious, but instead change what you're looking at. Jesus says, look at the birds of the field, look at the grass of the field, look at all these other things, look at God's creation and realize how small that you are. And if God provides for all the field, provides for the birds of the air, don't you understand, child of God, that he cares about you? Apostle Paul, same thing. Uh, do not be anxious, but instead he offers practice with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the God of peace will be with you. Um, and so we see with emotions, I think describing them as indicators is spot on. There is still good godly theologians who will differ on this topic. And so I want to be very clear yeah. and upfront about that, where I would see them as non-moral, meaning I don't think emotions are sin. Uh, I think they're indications uh, and indicators that reveal a narrative and a story that's behind the emotion. But the emotion itself is just like an indicator light coming up on your car. Uh, it's telling you what's going on, but the light itself is not the problem. It's telling you there's a deeper problem that needs to be addressed. I do want to mention one other thing with the Philippians 4 passage that I love at the end when Paul says, practice these things, the things that you've seen me do. He tells you what to think about, what to meditate on. And he says, practice these things. And he says, and the God of peace will be with you in that, uh, which is where I think, man, we can find a whole bunch of respite um, and rest if we would embrace this idea. Paul did not say, when you get it right, the God of peace will be with you. 
did not say when you execute it perfectly, the God of peace will be with you. He said, as you practice, as you just move towards the direction that God is calling you to, there the God of peace is already with you to provide. Uh, and so, anywho, on the emotional side of things, validating emotions, because I believe emotions are driven by narrative. I believe it is always wrong to say you shouldn't feel that way because I think you're one step removed from what's actually going on. So when somebody feels anger, anger is usually driven by a felt experience of injustice. Um, and so the, the question is not whether anger should be there. Anger should be there if they felt injustice has happened, whether injustice happened or not. If their understanding of the situation is that injustice happened, then the healthy bodily response to injustice would be a righteous anger. But let's say they find out that the injustice that happened wasn't really an injustice. Um, let's say they got cut off in traffic and you know, they find out later that the person who cut them off in traffic was actually an emergency situation. So it wasn't some belligerent taking up personal space and causing them physical danger. It was, no, they had to get to the hospital. Um, then anger and injustice, the error would have been in the injustice part, not in the felt experience of anger. Uh, they would realize new narrative, hey, that person wasn't a jerk, that person was actually in an emergency situation, in which case my emotions would shift along with that. I don't know if all that's making sense, but this is why I believe Romans 12, 15 says what it does, weep with those who weep. If you look at the whole context of the passage, it doesn't say weep with those who are weeping when you agree what they're weeping about. Um, that's not gonna be found in there. It's gonna say no meet, lead foot emotion. Anybody crying about anything is just sad. Like that's our lead foot. It can just be sad and we can enter into the sadness. Now the story behind why they're weeping, we get to after uh, empathizing and connecting with them. If we walk through their story and find that the story behind the weeping is something that is off or not helpful, um, then that's where I believe the, the work of counseling gets to do that. And really the work of any brother or sister in Christ could do that as well. Uh, it's helping reframe, take our theft thoughts captive according to Christ and reframe the narrative accordingly. And as you reframe the narrative, eventually those emotions will catch up uh, in time. Um, I have like a bazillion other thoughts on that, but I'm just going <laughs> to. No, that's great. <laughs> I also have a bazillion thoughts. Um, so uh, I've done a ton of work with trauma survivors and um, so I'm, I'm coming, I'm com kind of coming at it from that perspective, but man, uh, especially childhood trauma, but really any trauma um, that's significant uh, in terms of uh, if you've got abuse, you've got significant grief and loss, things like that that people have experienced. We just have to, I think at the basic level, it is very important to remember that every person that's in front of you is uh, bringing with him or her a thousand, maybe a million experiences and thoughts about the world, beliefs about you, about themselves, about God, like it is so complex. And that is the beauty of being human. I mean, that's the Lord made us in his image as very complex beings. And so, uh, man, it's just so important that we keep that in mind, that we are looking at the image of God when we look at other people. And so to minimize or to assume we even understand or could possibly understand the emotion they're experiencing and why they're experiencing it and where it's coming from is uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit depersonifying for us to think simply about people. I think probably you don't think simply about yourself. Like you understand how complex you are and that there are a lot of things flying around in your head at any given moment. And so, and that's true for everybody. And so uh, one of the things that, um, as I think about even 
helping to train leaders in our church regarding what it looks like to be a trauma-informed church, a church that, that pays attention to the fact that people show up in very complex ways. Um, there's just a humility, I think, that's required um, as we think about people's emotions that, um, man, we, we really don't understand. And, and if we think we could have a five-minute conversation or even an hour-long conversation with someone and go, oh, yeah, I, I get it. I know where they are. I know where they're coming from. Uh, is is we're kind of minim, minimizing that person's personhood um, if we think we can figure them out in a short period of time. So I think that's important for us to just come into conversations with humility as people are bringing their emotions to the table. Totally 100%, of course, agree with Andrew about, but just the, the fact that, um, that emotions themselves are, um, they're God's good gift to us. And I think, uh, Ne- what we would call negative emotions, like anger, sadness, things like that, um, are also God's good gift to us. And I think as in as believers, we often want to say, oh, there's good emotions that are God glorifying, and there's some that aren't, that we need to get rid of. And we tend to jump really fast. Like if I feel angry or um, sad, and I don't like how that feels, I can either jump into, I can automatically try to draw a quick line from that into sinfulness like, oh, I must be sinning. I feel angry or I feel sad. There's sin automatically. And I'm jumping so quickly that I'm missing that. As Andrew said, it's so great. Like it's the light on the dashboard going, no, wait, actually, it's just, you need to slow down. You need to breathe a little bit and think about where's that anger coming from. But man, we don't like to do that. I, I think, especially as Americans, where we want so much to feel only the good things <laughs> and only the comfortable things that we tend to blow right past anything that might seem as we might call it negative. Um, and, and really, I mean, those are good gifts to us as well. So, you know, easy example is, you know, if you turn on the news and you're watching about riots and racial injustice and people being killed for the color of their skin, like that should make, we should feel angry. (laughs) Like we should be in a state of anger in that moment. Like I, this is not the way the world ought to be. And that is a good and God given emotion. And then we think, okay, now what do I do with that anger? And what's next for me? Because our emotions produce action a lot. <laughs> and so it is important that we, um, that our emotions move us towards the Lord and towards other people. So, so I think as, as you guys um, listening to this podcast are thinking about caring for people who have emotion, I think it's really important to just remember that um, emotions aren't good or bad. They are what they are. And we can, uh, when we are meeting with someone who's struggling uh, sitting with them and letting them be where they are and humbly understanding that we don't, we can't figure them out quickly is going to be really important. And, uh, one last thought quickly, you know, I, um, have raised two teenagers, one boy, one girl, and anybody that's raised a child who goes through puberty, there's this, there are these moments where it's, where we realize like, oh, their, their emotions are very high over something that does not matter at all. And we automatically want to sort of talk them out of that and try to get them to think logically. And it doesn't work <laughs> because there's no logic, right? In hormonal puberty emotions. And uh, it's just been a, a super valuable and helpful lesson for me um, to take into ministry from being a mom and realizing, oh, it doesn't have to be logical. It doesn't have to make sense for me to draw near to somebody. It doesn't have to be something that I would be mad about or sad about. Um, it is where they are. And so to come towards them is the heart of Jesus. I mean, we, we look at Mark 1, where Jesus 
he didn't just heal a man with leprosy. He touched that guy. Like he reached out and put his hand on him, which would have been absolutely crazy in that day and time to touch somebody with leprosy. And he did it anyway, because he's trying to show that I'm with you. I'm coming towards you. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of what you're experiencing. And so, um, yeah, I just think we can, we can, we can learn a lot from our hormonally charged teenage children <laughs> about what, what emotion is and what to do with it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think, uh, you know, as you have kids, especially those, whether they're older or younger, like the reality that probably the way you, Andrew and you, Beth, and, and I know, um, you know, kind of the way I handle those things is I don't, you know, we, we work really hard, even though we do think it's dumb, we don't, we don't want them to not feel like the best way to handle emotions is to not, not feel emotions. Um, but, um, generally, and, and tell me if you think this is true. I spend so much of my time when I'm walking with people through, uh, anger or, um, or, or just sadness or grief or whatever those things might be. Uh, we have a tendency, um, or at least I feel like so often what we're walking through is the responses that they're having, their response of heart as they're having those emotions. And I think after we're walking through those over the course of time, then they're able to see like, oh, okay, it's okay to be angry, right? Like you said in the beginning, Andrew, but it's when the scriptures say, be angry, but in your anger, do not sin. So it's not telling you to never feel anger, but there is a response of heart that's incredibly important. So there's a response of heart um, that you ought not have. And so helping people work through one, trying to, I think even if we're just talking about validating, like validating the emotion, like, yeah, you, you should, you should be angry. Sometimes you should be sad. Sometimes you should be mourning. Sometimes like that, that's a, that is a natural human response to particular situations. And so you don't want to stuff the emotion. That's not the answer to it. Uh, and, and I think you see it a lot with guys who like wrestle with pornography. It's just like, ah, oh, just, I just wish I didn't find women attractive. Well, that's not the answer, right? Um, but the answer is more like, what is it in your heart that's driving you towards uh, a broken, um, a, a broken action or an unhealthy action? Broken is the, but an unhealthy action. And so, helping people see the response of heart, uh, I think, then helps them to um, kind of be able to navigate a little better their emotional responses because you're gonna you're gonna feel emotions. You're just gonna do it. So you, you can't and you shouldn't kill it. But, um, and you guys are so awesome. I'm, I, I could do this for an hour, so just good. so you know, we've now been going 42 minutes. So I'm going to give you one more question, yeah. Emily. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. Andrew's adding, Andrew's I'll adding. Go for it. Cause I think this will hit on the very practical on what we we're just hitting on. So the, the three R's of emotion, uh, in terms of our bipolar tendencies and then we'll, we're aiming for it. Bipolar tendencies are either receive or sorry, reject or be ruled. Mm -hmm. uh, so the tendency for any individual is going to be either be ruled by my emotions, whatever my emotions say is truth, it's right, and it's what I do, or to fully reject it, which is to say emotions are worthless, useless, I shouldn't listen to them at all. The biblical hope is that we receive them as information. We receive them as helpful for us. They're not meant to dictate what we do, but they are unbelievably helpful, truthful information for us in each moment for how we're experiencing and interpreting what's going on. The second piece I just offer as a practical is when you're with somebody and they're having an emotional response that you see is way over the top. My hope is your first thought will be, I must not know the full story. It's not, oh, you're having an overreaction, you're crazy, but rather, no, I've got more learning to do. 
like that emotion is telling me something about their story. And that's what Beth hit on with trauma, which is so significant with trauma backgrounds. You're going to tend to see emotional responses that you're like, man, why would you be so upset about that? And it's because there's a story, a significant story that's driving that emotion. If we'll be patient with people uh, and kind and empathetic enough to learn the story, we can discover what's going on. And we can, in some cases, help them kind of plug the dots together. That's why I feel so angry right now. Uh, because in some cases, they're not even fully aware of what's going on. Um, so, But Andrew, how do I do that in one meeting? <laughs> you usually can't. So you're saying it takes time. Yeah, you usually can't. Okay. Holy Spirit can do whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, to know someone's story, you know, and this is where it's, uh, I think, communally, it's so important for us to be invested in people's lives, to know background, to know family history, because, and we're all shaped by what we've been through. Like our family of origin shapes the way we feel about things now. Um, and so there's wealth of insight to be had if we would know each other's stories well and use it with care. Like there's obviously vulnerability and some level of danger in sharing depths of your story just because people might misuse it. Um, but uh, man, that's, that's where we can really see some good healthy work um, or just good healthy growth is when we're willing to go into the depths of the story that God has given us. Again, if we believe the story God has given us is on purpose, there's no part that's obsolete. There's no part that we skip over. God gives the story on purpose. Yeah, which I think plays so much to what Beth was talking about earlier, like the idea of we want to fix things, right? We want to fix things. But I think so much of the time we want to fix things because it's uncomfortable to sit with people in their, uh, mm-hmm. in their hurt and in their pain over the course of time because we're uncomfortable with it, right? And so sitting with them means that we have to be... Um, uncomfortable, but I think the scriptures, um, the way they lay it out is we have, man, just the deep privilege to be uncomfortable with our brother and sister as we're walking through what it looks like to, um, man, love, encourage, and lead them towards hope in Jesus. So that's that's great. So now we're at 46 minutes, so I'm not going to give Emily <laughs> one more question. Um, I could go on for the next two and a half hours, but um, man, I am so incredibly grateful for you guys, and I thank y'all so much. You know, this, was, this was so good. That is, um, I, I think, even just the little bit of wisdom that you guys, uh, it just just flows out so naturally. I, and I hope what you hear uh, from both of them is that they didn't just kind of launch things out as their ideas, and they, but they. Say, well, here's what the scriptures say. And so that's one of the things that has always encouraged me, challenged me, um, and and really uh, kind of driven me in many ways to learn the scriptures more is that it just kind of exudes, it just kind of flows out of you. The best compliment I've ever gotten, and I want you to know this, Andrew, uh, actually not ever, but in the past couple of weeks, is when Emily heard uh, your, because she was the one who told me, I think she sent it to me. (laughs) I did. She sent me your... um, uh, your TGC thing, and I watched it, and then I sent her a text, and I'm like, this is why I'm glad that we're having mom, because I'm like an, an amateur, mm-hmm. and they're like all-stars, and she was like, you guys sound alike, like you, not <laughs> you like we sound you've, alike, you've but we say, uh, and I was like, well, that's because I steal everything from him, like his best ideas are my best ideas, um, and it goes Beth's, both ways. yeah, Beth's best ideas are, are, I claim, is my best ideas, so I stand on the shoulders of giants, and pretend like I'm one, but I've been definitely blessed with some uh, great friends and some great colleagues. And uh, more than that, interesting factoid, like we have all been in a CGO home group. 
together we all were for a while so that that was also fun as well so uh yeah i got some fun stories about that <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> but we, we don't time, have time so, okay <laughs> uh, another another episode yeah some so, other time so andrew and beth thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day to be with us and just encourage uh our church body and man i'm praying for you praying for your families i miss you and uh and with the get around to see you guys soon. Yeah. Thank Please, you. I love you guys. Yeah, thanks so much. It's our pleasure. Well, I'm Jeremy. I'm Emily. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>